At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Before we get started with this next episode of the Falconry Chronicles podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple of our sponsors being the Archives of Falconry. And if you're already a member of the Archives of Falconry, I want to say thanks on their behalf. And if not, I strongly encourage you to join. I know I did, and I've been enjoying some of the membership benefits. Memberships help support the world's leading falconry heritage organization, and some of the benefits include discounted or free rendezvous tickets, discounts at their online store, updates on book auctions, sneak peeks at new exhibits, cool swag, and much, much more. For more information, you can head to falconry.org, and you can also sign up there if you're interested. I also want to say thanks to Seth Roy of North Mountain Goshawks for his continued support. If you are in the market for a new goshawk hunting partner for this upcoming season, he makes really nice game hawks. And hit him up at northmountaingoshawks.com or North Mountain Goshawks on Facebook. You can also email him at ostringer3 at gmail.com. If you want to get on the list, it'll be here before we know it. And if you want a North American finish or Russian parent rear goshawk especially, don't hesitate. Like I said, he makes great birds and I'm sure you won't regret it. And I also want to remind everyone that the podcast is now a part of the Extreme Performance Outdoor Network. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the other podcasts in the network, like the Houndsman XP podcast, I highly recommend you do so. There's lots of good stuff in those episodes, and there's lots of great information about hunting with hounds and things like that. So check it out if you haven't already. Okay, now on to the next episode of the Falconry Chronicles podcast. Enjoy. So that Phil's bird took this and that, but it was a, the duck. It was a steep bank and had pulled it, pulled the bird back in the water, and it was going underneath an overpass or a ro- uh, not even a, a pedestrian. Bridge. I reach out for the duck and it just gets too far away, and I re and I go, my face goes under, and yeah, I get so a now nice, he's literally swimming. Nice mouth of, of Jersey. <laughs> scum water hey what's up everyone and thanks again for joining me for another episode of the falconry chronicles podcast and this episode takes us back to the world of dachshunds and this uh, pair of brothers has done a lot for the dachshund community and they're also former apprentices of teddy moritz and have a lot of great stories and experiences and input to share with you all so i'm really happy to be able to bring this episode out to you all and i think it's actually the first episode that i've recorded if i remember right that features a couple brothers so something else new to the podcast here if i recall correctly but anyway i'm going to go ahead and turn things over to this conversation with paul and phil alia and i hope you really enjoy it here we go Well, it's been nice getting to know you guys a little bit over dinner and stuff. I do have to start off, though. I want to ask and go ahead and get this out of the way. What level of midlife crisis does it take to have to feel like you want to go ahead and, and get like a nice, shiny, white, women's-looking Corvette that, as Casey so eloquently you know, made sure to point out, too, it's not even a manual, but it's an automatic transmission. <laughs> How hard is it to get bird boxes and dogs in and out of the back of that? 
So who can comment on oh. that real quick? I seen him strap a, his goshawk to the T-tops, you know, the little bar in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> you just, just, you just wrap like the, um, the AstroTurf, like yeah. on the middle bar there. Yeah, I'm starting bar. something new, John. A Stingray Corvette is going to be the next hawking vehicle. You watch. Uh, C3 Corvette. Well, I've seen Priuses used. I've seen <laughs> all kinds of different vehicles used. So, I mean, why not? Well, I listen, guess. there's a lot of pavement where we hawk. So, that's just, uh, yeah. you don't need an off-road vehicle very often. <laughs> <laughs> I will take y'all's word for it. I mean, I can totally see where that would be a pretty amazing like car hawking vehicle absolutely it just but. rides right in the middle of that t-top and ready to go i yeah. wrap it with uh, good good rope in the in the season and uh, just know. perches on there that whole car <laughs> itself is like a one big giant hood it's about the same amount of space <laughs> i think it's a good giant hood yeah I, well yeah i mean i can see where the uh, after you put the top up, I mean, does it even have a top? Did you even get one with the top? <laughs> I got the t tops. They just <laughs> yeah. never go on. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take y'all's word for the efficiency of that. I guess I don't know if that's it's only ever... slightly cooler than my other two minivans that I have. Oh, okay, yeah. just slightly. Well, I mean, personally, I've only had about one and a half to two midlife so far. So maybe by my fourth one. I don't know, maybe I'll be ready to when you have your fifth child and you can barely hawk anymore, then yeah, you're going to you're going to go for a midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to I'm just I'm just, just going to go ahead and and take the easy way out, I guess, and uh and not worry about that. I'm just going to stop with the with the one, I guess. And uh, uh you know, whatever. I I've got to have enough money for the vet. So I mean, if I if I have another four kids or whatever, I'm I'm not gonna have enough money for the next level of hawking vehicle. So Yep, I hear you. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate y'all being great hosts and great companies so far. I've already given uh you know Casey some false hope that he's done some some good or whatever on this trip so far. But uh, <laughs> so you guys, you know, have, have lived around here the majority of your life, right? Yeah. 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 Or our whole life. Yep. Yeah. 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 Northern New Jersey has been most densely populated place in the country. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Per capita. Is that like a real statistic? Or yeah. New Jersey is actually more densely populated than Japan. You know, it's it's a pretty tight place to, to live. I think there's like 9 million of us here. And then probably about 50 falconers sprinkled amongst those 9 million people. So you'll have to just keep building up instead of out like, <laughs> yeah. like they do in Japan. I or? mean, uh, fortunately, there's still some... Some nicer parts of the state, you know, uh, it is a garden state. There's still some farmland and some open areas, but. Uh, I mean, this hotel we're sitting in here right now, I mean, we've walked behind it. I mean, before it was this, this hotel was here and yeah. right next door and behind that hotel and whatever little parcels of land we could find all up and down this highway. We, You know, we used to hunt for 20 years ago when we got into the sport, but yeah, now it's mostly hotels and other stuff. Yeah. 20 years, man. That's um, it's a decent chunk of change. You know, there's, I talked to all these dudes that have been in this sport and even some, some, some of our mutual, uh, you know, uh, gal friends as well that have been in this sport for such a long time. And man, I can only hope to make it that long. You know, I, like I said, I've been in this for still a relatively short amount of time considering, but man, I hope I'm still able to physically do this crap. We started in, I think, 99 was when we got our license, both got our permits. Yeah, fortunately, you know, it's as, as as densely populated it is, there's, there was, uh, you know, we happen to have one great falconer in the area that we, uh, we got to know, Teddy. And, 
Yeah. So it's uh, there's been a few other. There's you know there's there's a number of falconers around like through the years. Um, oh yeah, when we when we got into the sport in '99, I mean our county roughly now has about a million people in this county. So Teddy was the only practicing falconer <clears throat> in this county when we met her. So it was literally like one in a million chance, and she actually was in the falconer in this town that we're in right now. Actually, and, yeah, and Fr- Frank Weber was here, but he hadn't been had, had, had a bird at the time. Yeah, he was for a while. Maybe maybe close to his eighties at the time. Maybe yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, cool. I mean, I was excited to do this episode. I don't know why now that I've met you all, but anyway, <laughs> I was I was excited to do this this episode initially because I, I don't believe. I mean, I recently just kind of had another first milestone, which was like a, a father daughter, uh, you know, tandem or whatever. But I don't really know. I don't think we've had any brothers on mm. the podcast yet. I mean, I, I'd have to think about it for a minute, but I don't. I don't know if we've had any any brother tandems on on the podcast yet so this was kind of cool you know getting a chance to to talk to two guys that obviously grew up together and not only of course in the same household but in the sport as well so yeah so like my phil was always i think he was the catalyst i mean i was Mm. always interested in falconry and Mm -hmm. i i had but he was interested in it first yeah i was when i was a teenager you know before the internet i would after school you go to the library and just peruse through random books and I looked up falconry and I think Philip Glazier's book and a couple other British books um and uh looked took them out read them flipped through them put them back and then I think a couple years later Phil found an interest in it I went to a renaissance festival mm-hmm. not too far from here and uh saw a you know Ray Penna was the was the, Ray Penna yeah. yeah was a falconer and uh from New York and uh he was uh, did a demonstration at a local uh, Renaissance festival, and my brother, I remember it clear as day. My brother turned to me and said, "You know, you could do that in New Jersey." And I said, "I'm doing that, like just like that." And you know, I was only I think, I believe, 17 at the time, and I was just graduated high school, I believe. So I had to go through. I went through college and did all that before I finally got my license and stuff but i would he, just he started bringing it. books home and i had already taken those out a few years ago yeah library you know yeah. no internet you You'd know have to get and, the book from another library get transferred over so oh, i got this other book and, and i'd open the back yeah. and they'd still see like you know my brother's name in the back you know when he took <laughs> yeah. it out like a couple of years ago so it was yeah. it was you know you know back when information was scarce Cool. I was always more pragmatic and like we didn't have time to do it. Like we were both competing, you know, wrestling through college and um, and other things. And it just, I was like, it didn't seem feasible. Phil was like, oh, was, you know, we can do it. We can do it. Or after, you know, as soon as we finished graduating, he's, you know, he went to the, contacted the state. And I think what you went to the, took my test. Meet, and, right. Yeah. You went to, I mean, uh, the, the I went to the picnic. picnic yeah. And tried to, you know, get it. And then, you know, when I was still in college, and then when I finally graduated college, passed my test, and and then I was always, I was always, yeah, tagging along. And then when I once I passed my once he realized that there was no stopping it, and he was going to do it, he's like, all right, I'm doing it too. (laughs) So I asked Teddy, yeah, Teddy, to sponsor me as well. And I'm sure, much to her chagrin, she had to take both of you on at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. She's like, all right, we met her, we met at the same day, same time. Mm. Like I said. Only practicing falcon in this county, one in a million, pretty much. And, and we were her first. And we were the yeah. only person she's ever sponsored mm. up until that point. So since she's been doing it since the 60s, this is 99. 
she knew. I think she said later on that she you know she could just see that we weren't gonna stop. We mm. weren't gonna <laughs> we, we 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 weren't gonna let her get away with you know. Yeah. She's so. like, man, I wish I could have moved to Delaware quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Another funny side story is that she, she's you know ten minutes away from us, but. She, she, her, and her husband graduated from the same college that I graduated from. So that was another. I had just graduated college from her alma mater. It was just another mm. weird, twisted West Virginia, West yep. Virginia University. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Well, you never know exactly what's going to be. I guess that relatable. I don't know thing. You know, to at least spur the conversation on yep. to uh, to get familiar with someone and, yep. and uh, you know, make that initial. Uh, yeah, we went up to uh, the yeah. Falcon meet, uh, the picnic that, that summer, and first person that came up and introduced herself to us was Teddy and, and you know. I think we caught her at a good time in her life, too, as far as I think, you know, her kids were getting older and she was very active in her hawking. Um, but I think if we talked to her 10 years ago, she might not have had time to to uh, take us on as apprentices so bother with us yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean even still i mean I, I mean she was you know great guidance i mean we could talk uh, you know all about the things she's you know did for us and helped us and whatnot but um she was very active in her own falconry so um you know a lot of her time was spent on the phone with us daily calls consulting um but you know as every good sponsor does yeah 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 yep well, what kind of things did you all have to do to kind of earn your your apprenticeship with her then? I mean, what uh, <laughs> what, what were all the hoops that you guys had to jump through for that? Well, um, I think w the interesting thing about Teddy is, um, you know, she, I don't want to say you had to prove yourself, but she kind of had to like prove yourself. She's not going to hold your hand and like, Walk you through. If step you, by if, step. if I if we didn't do everything that we needed to do, it just wouldn't get done. Yeah, and she she's not us. gonna say. Yeah, you know, you know, you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail. You're not gonna do it. You're, you know, you're not you're not taking your test. You didn't get your muse built. You didn't. It's she's not she's not there checking on us. It's a different mm -hmm. generation, you know, that she grew up in, and sure, she grew up under. You know, you, know, you want to do it, you do it, and then yeah. we would ask her, consult with her, but she was always of like, you know. Uh, encouraging us to, to to just keep going ahead and consult other people, consult with you know other falconers, learn, um, and then we just come back to her and say this is what we think we're going to do, and she'd be like, okay, good, that makes sense, and I do this and that, and come check out our muse, check out our facilities, ask her a million questions. Um, she would let us fail, that kind of thing, you know, yeah. and just offer guidance when we asked, but we were very, you know, I always say that it was we got double the experience because. Instead of starting with a red tail or a kestrel, I we got a red tail and a kestrel, and we right. you know and we did everything double. So, you know, we got double the falconry experience that you know other people would not probably get. Yeah, we and were still living at the same house. We were still living together, you know, young and twenty, single, and yeah, built the muse together, and yeah, hawking every day. Hmm. He he got the he had his red tail. I trained with him, helped him train his bird. And then um, trapped a kestrel. And then he trapped a kestrel, and then uh, I I trained the kestrel, flew the kestrel. So everything was double speed, mm. you know. It was, yeah, yeah. So you you both were learning simultaneously with each other's birds and basically each other's mistakes as well. Exactly. And, yeah. Lots but of mistakes. But also the thing. <laughs> yeah, but the, we also like you know even to this day, we can fill in for each other, right? I mean, it's not everybody has twenty four seven to spend with a bird, but. 
like if Phil's going away for the weekend, I could still hawk his bird. Like there was no, I mean, I was hawking the red tail and hawking the, 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 the kestrel. Right. And it's vice versa. So it, it was literally, all right, I'm going to be home from work. Keep making sure the bird's on weight or I'm going away. Can you, you know, and I'm. And then when he moved out, finally got married and moved out, he moved next door. So it was. Yeah. A... <laughs> and then it took a couple more years and I, I, I put a mew on my side, which happened to be Casey's old mew when he moved out of his, uh, his childhood home. He had a mew floating around and we, uh, we pulled it over and moved to my yard. I had to start separating some stuff over there uh, from Phil, but it's about 50 feet away from each other. So, so it's not a problem if, um, and that's, I mean, to this day, like, you know, if one of us goes away, we have somebody to, to uh, take care of the birds or if the bird's on weight and I'm not going to get home from work to hawk it, Phil, can you go fly the bird? You know? Um, so for many years it was, you know, that red tail or whatever bird we had was being flown by both of us at the same time. It was getting flown a lot. We had one dog for a while. The second year we got a dog from Teddy. And that poor dog, man, we wore his legs off because it was one dog be- be being used for two falconers. <laughs> well, I'm uh, sure the dog enjoyed the hell out of it, though. It's I mean. a great dog. Yeah, yeah. And that's finally when Teddy would actually go out hawking with us. I mean, the whole first year, I don't think she she, she didn't go hawking with us at all. Hmm. You know? <laughs> we got a dog, and then all of a sudden now she wants to see the dog go. So. <laughs> yeah. We were invited yeah. out to her field. Yeah. She's, all right, I'm going to take these guys. You know, we, rabbits are our commodity here, right? And mm. uh and um, so I like, take it to this field where it is, you know, we'll catch some squirrels. And I know these guys are catching squirrels. I'm not going to waste my my rabbits on on these guys. Mm-hmm. So she take us to the field. I think we caught two rabbits in 30 minutes instead of any, no squirrels. <laughs> but um, that was with her dog. And she's like, all right, I guess things are going well between, you know, what was going on. Um, See you next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, from then on, once the dog was in the loop, you know, we, we enjoyed many, many days in the field together. Uh, but... Well, that's great stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I uh, I figured you guys would have a little bit different of a of a perspective as far as uh, an apprenticeship and just introductory aspect to your falconry careers because you all were practicing at the same time and doing all this stuff at the same time. So, yeah, you know, I I don't know how many people get that. Yeah, I mean, we we just we bounced stuff off each other with Teddy. We, uh, Rick DeVore was, uh, in North Jersey at the time before he moved to Texas and we hawked a lot with him and Doug, Doug Moore at the time, early stuff that were, they, they were just a couple years into Falkery, uh, ahead of us, but actively fly, hawking a red tailed hawk. And so Teddy's like, go out with them, right? Go out. She yeah. encouraged us to go out with as many Falconers to get experience, to understand yeah, things. She was very big on pushing and like, you know, on, you know, learning from other, like, like just, just see what's out there and, and you know, and explore get different things and yeah. see what's, you know, what's going on. And, and that was a big, um, I think we took that with us. Like we did that a lot. Yes. And, uh, you know, we met a lot of people because of that. And uh, to this yeah. day that some people are still our friends from, from, from those early years. She's not a sponsor where she was like, you got to do things my way. Or hmm. my, you know, it's more like it's, it was this is what opposite. I do and this is what works. It was more the opposite. If you ever yeah. wanted information from Teddy, it was, you, you had to ask her for it. She wasn't, she wasn't, you know. She wasn't she, pushing it on you. She wasn't pushing on it. Even the dog, like, I know it sounds like, oh, we had to have the dog. But it wasn't like that. It no. was like, I saw that dog. And, and of course, as you can imagine, now it sounds funny, but at the time, not being a hunter and not knowing anything about dogs, never having a dog in my life, seeing that little dog and thinking that that thing can hunt was, you know, a little miniature long-haired dachshund was, you know, that was mind-blowing to me. Like, 
what do you mean? Like, that's a little lap dog. What do you mean that thing can hunt? You know? And <laughs> so yeah. I was just yeah. blown away by that and just, I couldn't wait to get a dog. There, there weren't a whole lot of people. But it wasn't her pushing it. It was yeah. just, no, she wasn't. Like, she didn't say, I gotta see that, you know? No. Yeah. She never really said, we just said, we want a dog. The first point. bird we saw fly was ours. The first dog we saw run was ours. The first, you know, like, first rabbit first, we first caught bird in the field we was, trapped was yeah. ours that we saw. We didn't see any, like, you know, we didn't go out that's with never going to happen again with yeah. the modern age with internet and 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 the accessibility that it is now it's not going to ever happen again you know we didn't see any of this we didn't see a bird come to the fist we didn't we could only dream about it from the books we read and just think about it over and over for years and years and just you know yeah and so looking back now how do you think about how 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 we knew when we were ready to let that bird go right. but we knew yeah, it did. It did what we expected. Did what we expected to, and, yeah. we, and we did, and we took a chance, and you know, we got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not the same. It's just that those times are over. Yeah, and I think that, in especially like you mentioned in the modern era, it's really not encouraged. <laughs> like having more of um, a hands-off sponsor type of relationship these days, especially, really is not something that m many people I think would would encourage by yeah. any stretch. But you know, no, I don't do it with my. I have an apprentice now, and um, I, I some of those things I I, I encourage as well, and uh, but I I wouldn't expect her to cut the bird loose without necessarily you know me being there or even taking her hunting or you know i i don't mind i feel like it, there's a lot of value in it um i don't think everybody can do it the way we did it um i mean yeah it's, just, it's, it's, it's not it's not a requirement yeah. yeah i mean i mean casey was my first you know apprentice and i mean i'm still holding his hand to this day <laughs> yeah yeah obviously <laughs> no he he was he, you're doing he, such a he's swell of the job. Same, <laughs> he was of the no, same i mean he's yeah. ilk, you know he would he was, yeah, a no, he was easy he was a natural it was easy to you know he was an easy apprentice for sure but i mean um you you know but that's not that's a rare thing you know nowadays i think uh, people want well. There's a lot, just, there's a know, lot of exposure. You want to risk. Yeah, people want even. a lot more help than they than they really need. Yeah, well, I, everybody's afraid of messing it up. Right. And, right. Yeah, and and I think that a, a big degree of a lot of the pressure that modern falconers, especially the ones getting into it, are susceptible to is a lot of self imposed pressure because of what you were talking about, like the social media type stuff. And, Correct. and I mean, it can be a great tool and resource, but there's a lot Correct. of room for people to pick up outside influence or impressions. And, and that worry is there about, you know, Oh, I'm going to look like a, yes. you know, whatever. An and, impression stick yeah. and it's first impressions mm -hmm. in a community. Yeah. That's a very tight knit community. Your reputation yeah. carries a long way. I mean, but any 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 newcomer to the sport, especially if you're a go getter and you're pushing limits, you know, there's always people are going to have there's naysayers and criticisms, and yeah. we dealt with that. I, I know there's just plenty. Absolutely. We hear from the grapevine, hey, you know, oh, you guys are. It was the same way, and, yeah. but it wasn't on social media. It was just hearsay and through people's, you know, in the old, uh, what's it, like just gossip. But you have you know, to earn your. You have to gossip. We used to hear the same thing, and you know, and but you know, what's the old saying you know you you learn from your mistakes type of thing you know like sure. we made a lot of mistakes me more than paul probably but like oh, that's also funny. learning you know that's also a way to learn a lot you know and and so i'm not ashamed to admit that because that's how i learned a lot you know i made a lot of mistakes and i learned a lot from it and 
it made me a better falconer. Yeah, well, and yeah, because nobody learns from. I mean, this has been said many, many times. Yeah, right. But, I mean, nobody exactly. nobody learns from their success. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, a lot of. I mean, it's a common theme that you hear over and over again with a lot of older generation falconers that that didn't have any resources whatsoever aside from a random book that they were able to find stuff is i mean basically is is that is the only way that they were able to to learn and unfortunately in a lot of relationships nowadays i think that there's still a lot of that to this day with a lot of people that don't have other falconers that are within x amount of hours of them and and you still mm-hmm. you still see some of the the paper sponsor type relationships yeah, and yeah. things like that and i mean people got to do what they got to do but right. but at the same time it's still i uh, yeah i mean i think everybody could agree though that i mean the best way to go about it is to actually have that in person you know resource that's there to help guide you yeah and on the flip side of that argument is the the too much information, the mm-hmm. too many inputs from other people, the too many, well, what do I do now? The too many books to do, you know, this guy says this, this guy says that, this, that. Mm-hmm. you know, and if I ever, which I don't sponsor too often, but if I ever sponsor somebody, I'm like, like I, I tell them what Teddy told me, talk to everybody you want, but just do it my way for now. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done, do it whatever way you want. And, but during that time, talk to people. We'll talk about it. You know, any other ways you want to do it, we'll talk about it. But I'm just going to teach you what I know. And then when you're done with me, do whatever you want. Yeah. And that's it. You know, not because I don't think other people are right. It's just that this is what I know. And this is the way I'm yeah, teaching. You can't coach somebody else's technique. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't want to coach somebody else's technique type of thing, you yeah. know. So there's also that issue of having too much information right now, I feel like, sometimes. Yeah, and, and now you have like a whole world at your fingertips, basically, of people that are flying all these different species. And and then, of course, there's also people that are flying species in areas that aren't like yours, that they may or may not be having success with it. You never really know, whatever. But like, there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole realm now of a whole world of temptation to try things that maybe you shouldn't and stuff also. And, and like you said, you won't ever really truly know if you can do something or if you can't until you try it and then also fail or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and I am a, I'm a big like proponent in not reinventing the wheel until you know how to build the wheel. Like you know, learn how to build the wheel and then you can reinvent it, you know, until that point, you know, and That's a, yeah, so, exactly. you yeah. know, don't I do it one way first, and then yeah. If you're new to if you're new to an endeavor, and then you're trying to come at it with a completely unorthodox method, it doesn't it doesn't bode well. Uh, learn learn what others have put forth before you, and then go from there and and and, and evolve. Yeah, yeah. The reinventing the wheel thing it doesn't really usually work out very well. Well, know, and and, and the stakes are so high with Falcon, right? Yeah. It doesn't take much for uh, before you have a dead hawk or Falcon by. Uh, something careless or something like, you know, along those lines. Sure. Sure. Well, and I mean, throughout the, the years then, I mean, over these last two decades that, that you all have been practicing, I mean, how many people have you guys come along? I mean, we won't count Casey um, <laughs> because of the obvious reasons, but I mean, how many good, good apprentices have you had <laughs> throughout the years? And, and how many, how many, like how much wisdom have you all had to, do you guys kind of still take somewhat of a tag team approach or do you guys? Yeah. I, I think they usually get, they usually get the both of us. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah. I mean, like, it's, but... Um, We've only had four between yeah. the two of us in yeah. 24 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of falconry, so it's not that yeah. many. And they've, you know, they've all been successful they've falconers. They've all been successful, and... you know, produced <laughs> and, and caught, and, uh, you know, at least caught game, you know, in the eyes of what we consider successful, catching game with we their never, birds. N- yeah, yeah. Everybody. And they've oh. all done that. Yeah. yeah you I know, mean, and and a good amount of game, you know, and, uh, you know, I want to put a number on it, but they've all successfully, under our apprenticeships, have caught multiple heads of game. Yeah, yeah. Know. Well, I mean, like from, from from day one with Teddy, it's all about setting the expectation. It was the biggest thing for us. Is like, you know, when I first got the falcon, I thought, oh, you catch one rabbit, it was great, you know. And then I heard like so and so caught forty rabbits last year. I'm like, wow, Teddy, I didn't know that. She's like, well, yeah, well, that's that's all right for you know he's working full time, you know, so forty's all right. And I'm like, what? You know, but you know, she's used to a hundred, hundred plus a year. And in this mm-hmm. our area, it's like there's, there's not a lot of rabbits, so it's it's work, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but. The expectation that every time you go out, you gotta expect you're expecting to catch something, right? When I was coming in as apprentice, it was like I'm going to fly my bird and we're going to try to chase some stuff and maybe we'll catch something. That's kind of what I got from just reading books, right? You know, but in re- in reality, it was I remember calling her and be like, "Teddy, yeah. you, my bird came to my fist. Can you believe that? You know, like that was exciting news. You <laughs> yeah. know, it, was, it came across the yard. She's but, like, yeah, okay." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the expectation is every t- it's like every time I we, you take the bird, every time I take my bird out, I'm expecting to catch game. Like so, it kind of flipped a switch in my head. Is like okay, mm-hmm. you're not out here for fun. You, you know, there's a purpose to this, and the purpose is being successfully being successful by catching something. Yeah, you know, catch, catching game. So well, um, that yeah. was a guiding principle all through our you know through our falconry going forward. Is like you know it's it's, it's fun in games, but it really the purpose is for them to catch. Well, and that's kind of another slippery slope, too, because every person's version or viewpoint of, like, what's successful and what's not is kind of different from person to person also. And, and yeah, I mean, some people <laughs> get get excited about a handful here or whatever. Well, I mean, there, all, just, and, everybody has different challenges yeah, that they're going to deal with. Yeah. And, and the measure of success is, is, is one thing, but the intent is to... To catch something, if you're yeah. if you're flying a bird purposely, re- repeatedly, and it's not just a training session where you have no real intention of actually catching game, I think that's that's not falconry. That's not the right way to do falconry, right? The, the purpose is to to pursue and try to catch game, right? Sure. So, yeah, I'm not saying you have to put in you know full bags every time you're out there. You know, we we don't do that, but we want to make sure that we go out there every time I go out and let my dogs out and go fly my bird. I ex- expect to catch something. Mm-hmm. I don't always catch something, but that's the expectation. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's good to know what the uh, what that standard or what that bar was was for you guys then. <laughs> yeah, and she, you know, she she sets a high bar because it was like you know we we were tag we we're literally tag teaming with the birds. Like he'd fly the red tail, then I'd fly, then he'd fly. You know, we would have as much flying time as we can, just trying to keep up with head counts with her for a while and. You know, you may do that for just one for season. Fun. I mean, not yeah, know, serious, you know, <laughs> yeah, just just to say, you know, for a while, and then really, of course, it was two of us against her, but that didn't seem to, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, still it's, the same that bird. Was still fair in our same eyes, bird, yeah. you know, for same us, bird. it was still still fair for, to us in our case. Yeah. So uh, we we hung in there for like one season, and then for the last yeah, nineteen, she blows us away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, was it twenty four seasons now? Twenty three seasons? Oh yeah, I can see. You know, especially someone like her is you gotta gotta keep keep you in her in your places you know yeah well. you gotta keep you humble 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, she did. She definitely stepped it up a little bit, whether she will admit it or not. She when we got, yeah, yeah. she definitely picked up the numbers a little. Well, bit. Well, because once we had the dog, it was a game changer, right? That was the big deal, mm-hmm. right? So we had the dog, and we we were, and arguably, and I've asked yeah. her this, you know, and, and, and I, I don't know if it was just a, that dog was uh, the right place at the right time. I think it was all, you know, a lot of things. The stars aligned, and and I've asked her about it. I think it was arguably one of the best dogs she's ever produced in the right situation at the right time to two people hunting every other day every day pretty much for you know yeah and and uh you know and so it was of course i'm biased but that you know that dog was just an amazing dog but you know like i said i think it was just the right thing at the right time a great dog in the right situation and uh you know started by itself and just yeah he didn't have a a litter mate he was he was he was being you know run solo so we got to focus on him and, and he, uh, he, he really just, developed. I mean, yeah. he would run. He would, he would run hunted rabbits. You know, he would he would run. He would treat squirrels, run squirrels, tra- you know, you know, track squirrels, trace pheasant. We would we shoot gun, we gun hunt pheasant over him, that kind of thing. So I mean, he was just a all around yeah, amazing dog. dog. Hmm. Well, sounds like it. And yeah. you know, I guess this is a a good time then just to stay on this train of thought. And I mean, I I want to you know, ask you guys, I mean, as far as this area goes and, and other circumstances aside, I mean, what is it about this, this breed? Because that's the the, kind of the theme of this series is, is kind of, you know, to really kind of dig into a little bit, what makes dachshunds so appealing to so many falconers. And I mean, for you guys is a continued thing. I mean, have you guys ever considered running any other breed or is it still, something that you're just always going to be you know kind of so so i'm i'm not i'm not necessarily like i I don't i'm not married to the breed any per se but we run the dachshunds because they're the they're the best dog for what we do and where Mm -hmm. we hawk and the type of hawk and we do that's it i mean i i I personally i would love a bigger dog i'd love to have you know i'd love to be able to run a you know a bird dog on on uh, on some upland game and stuff we just don't have it here you mm-hmm. know and that's so and you know beagles have great nose i mean there's a million other dogs that could be are great in their situation but for what we do the type of hawking we do we don't there's not a better dog right so the, um, yeah so i i mean i mean i may have a little bit more you know like amicable feelings to the breed than paul does but i mean i like he said it's it's for the, our situation that i can't of course, we've contemplated other breeds and we've thought about it and stuff like that. But simply put, it's just there's no other better dog for our situation, for the size of the cover that we hunt, for the for the um, you know that the, the doing holes and maybe not doing holes. You know, for uh, the fact that you know people see you at a dachshund and they're not really too concerned. You know, to be quite honest, <laughs> you, you couldn't run a beagles. You, you couldn't know, run beagles around here. They're they're you, way too vocal. You know, and they 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 I know. People don't think they do, but they do listen. You know, if you get the right one, they do listen to you. They have a good, you know, verbal command. Um, and you know, for, for what we do, they can't. We can't find a better situation. Yeah. Anything else would range too far, too big, too big. You know, our our spots are very, very small. You know, that we're, we're hunting. You know, maybe a half acre lot sometimes. You uh-huh. know, to, to a couple acre lot. You know, so we don't have many. Big, and every big rabbit's lots. precious. If it goes underneath somebody's shed, we want to get it out. Yeah, we have to stick with it, and it goes <laughs> in a shed under the hole or something like that. So um, there's really not a better dog for what we do. It just it just isn't for yeah. our situation. 
Well, I, yeah, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, there, there weren't a whole lot of people. I think Teddy Teddy had a dachshund. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, mean there was a, there was a one or two other female falcons. I mean, now everybody in Jersey has dachshunds. Not everybody, but pretty yeah, much. Quite, it's, and they're, they're, they're used a lot, but they weren't. That's because of Teddy. I mean, it mm. wasn't. That wasn't the case. Mm. You know, when she was, I, I think you know, Bill, Bill Bill Bowler, I think up in Michigan had him at the time when we. I'm in the saying 90s. New Jersey. I don't. No, know New that Jersey. Name. Yeah, there wasn't. But now, I mean, you can call it the New Jersey Falconry and Dachshund Club. I mean, there's like it's so many people have them <laughs> because it works. Because you know, it works, you yeah. know what? It's again, you see success, you can emulate it, and again, you know why? You know, and then hunting without a dog, especially around here, is very hard. I think parts of South Jersey, you can definitely get away. There's good rabbit numbers. You don't need to have a dog. We used to have better rabbit numbers when we started, but now it's like, I mean, if we get a a, a, a slip an hour, we're, 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 that's about average. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's pretty low average. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. I you, mean, it's your, your bird's got to be good because you got to take advantage of that. You know, yeah. it's a, um, there's small spots and a lot of spots. I, if I get flush one rabbit, you know, I'm good. I'll, pack up and move to the next even the spots that we have had historically had more numbers i think there's a we don't know for sure but we think there's a coyote fox type issue going on there's just less and less numbers of rabbits yeah even the even the decent spots that were i mean tiny, i see more were... fox than i than i see rabbit when i hawk mm. yeah it's quite a few fox but you know you can drive an hour and two hours an hour and a half and get into some good fields still well, there you go. You just need yeah. to get you a bigger, different type of hound to start hunting fox. With yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Teddy's Teddy, Teddy showing us how she can do couple that with of the them I've seen are very <laughs> hairless, mangy, oh, not pretty things. <laughs> but, yeah, but all that, that whole going to, you know, that, that work, working, uh, you know, working ground dogs, you know, groundhogs and raccoon and things with these docks. I mean, that was a whole, she, Teddy opened us up to a whole nother world of hunting. You know, we didn't. We didn't grow up in a household around, you know, people that ran hunted dogs or worked terriers or whatnot. And she, she did terriers, and then she was running dachshunds. So we we learned how to. Yeah, she still dig to up this day hunts year round. Yeah, and um, yeah. So it's like it was interesting just to be able to now now sight hounds. We did coursing a little bit. With she, her. Yeah, she had her lurcher that we'd go out with, and that was fun. And uh, some whippets. Her friends would go with the whippets, and the dachshunds would start them, and the whippets would finish it, and the lurcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh yeah she 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 opened us up to a lot of different things that we we'd never been exposed to otherwise yeah so basically uh it's it's more of a of a practicality thing more so than just love of like a particular fondness or love of the breed. me personally yeah i mean i i, I wouldn't have a dachshund if i wasn't using it for falconry <laughs> i kind of personally like them even though you wouldn't see it if you saw it nowadays because i have two males in the house but I, t- I kind of like. I you like enjoy them as I a would, breed. I would have a one. I would go back to one dachshund. Mm-hmm. If you weren't using for falconry, you would have one as a pet. You saying? Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> not me. I would not have one as a pet just for if I wasn't hawking with it. It wasn't using for falconry. I mean, it's just, just you know, yeah. I, it's it's a practice. I don't know if I'd have I any. Love, I, love I don't dog, know if I I'd have any dog that I wasn't. I, I love the. I love the way that you know. The value that they bring to us, the type of hunting they are. I love their their personality for hunting, but um, the they're they have a specific job and they're good at it, and that's what I really love about them the most. Mm-hmm. Not not that they're cute, long, short, and uh, you know, and uh, live forever, have bad teeth and nasty attitudes, and piss all over the house. <laughs> wonderful companions. They're extremely loyal. They're smart, and yeah. but yeah, but it's not. It's we're not people that took. 
uh, a fondness for dachshunds and adapted them to our hunting lifestyle. It's we we strictly got them because they're they're good for the type of falconry we do. And um, fortunately, there was somebody that you know, that that paved the way, went through different uh, breeds, tried different dogs out, and settled in on the dachshund, and and then started working a line that was uh, very you know successful and and so we got we got a good dog right off the bat i mean at the time she said i mean they were still i mean she had just she had tried different different uh breedings even she was breeding to different show lines and other pet lines at times she had why she had done wire hairs for a while i think the, you know there were still some wire hairs around at the time uh that she was using but she eventually moved off from them because of inconsistency with the coat so um and then i think she started with the long the long-haired line that she has now from i forgot his last name chuck out in ohio was a field trialer where had the great line of of these long-haired miniature dachshunds and uh she saw that dog work and uh started breeding uh from that line and and i guess what 25 30 years later it's 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 grown up quite a bit and um and they've improved. They're, I mean, the dachshunds that you see now—they're, I mean, from you, you, from falconry lines—they're all very good dogs. I mean, there was when we first got into it, half the dachshunds weren't that great. I mean, it's like yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. There's so many good breeders out there now, and so many good, you know, lines out there. And I mean, I mean, listen, that was the, that. That's, she's. I mean, just because she's our sponsor, she's not here holding a gun to her head. I mean, it's a lot because of Teddy. Yeah. I mean, you know, she she created a lot of good blood, and um, like now, I I don't I you know when I first started the sport, I would be like no 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 to those breeders, but now I would be like, you can't lose. Almost you almost can't lose nowadays because there's somebody. I mean, not, nothing's a hundred percent guarantee, of course, but you you almost can't lose some. But she encouraged. Oh, you got them from now. She encouraged the breeding. The, she the use never of them. was selective about her dog. She was never selective about her breeding. She was never selective about keeping her her um, prodigy to herself. She was always um, encouraging us to spread the wealth, spread the knowledge, spread the dog, spread the the genetics everywhere. She never put a restriction on anything. She never once. She was always encouraging every breeding that we did to get it out there. You know, get more people with dachshunds, the better. She was always pushing that. Yeah, you have better. You know, yeah, so you have you know better genetics, a better line, and improved. Where we were like oh. very stingy on who we bred to. She right. was just like, continue to move the the breed, continue to move the 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 the, um, the line forward. Yeah, right. Well, that was going to be my my next question. I mean, you guys have done some breeding yourselves, right? Uh, plenty. I mean, yeah. I don't. I mean, I couldn't count how many litters we've done, but yeah. So I, I want to yeah. ask you a couple of questions, then, uh, kind of along those lines. I mean, so a couple of questions I've been asking people that just from their personal experience and having dachshunds, but also from a breeder's perspective too. When, in your mind, is the best time to send a pup? to its new home perspective like when's the best time to go ahead and and take a pup home and also have you guys done anything in the past to try and mitigate or kind of minimize just the amount of of mess that they can leave in a house at times okay. because yeah. i mean yeah, yeah. That, that's that's an ongoing I question you, you know i'll do the how many weeks okay so you share that so me. for me um I would. I don't like to get rid of a puppy before ten weeks. Um, 
10 to 12 weeks yeah because a number of reasons one i don't it's the puppies i've seen taken earlier don't seem to have a good basis i don't know how to say personality Social, socialization, yeah socialization yeah. disposition everything like that they're not like they even those like it sounds like eight to ten weeks is not a big difference but it does it's just in the confirmation of the, the dog and everything just how it moves and acts and everything seems to be a big difference i would like to keep it for 12 weeks if i had to problem with that is they're very annoying and it's a lot more work <laughs> yeah, on the breeder breeder and so, you know and i get it yeah. but i would like to keep it for 10 to 12 weeks if i had to yeah and we from that from from early on i mean the way I, I I I keep my my dogs is that um, that you crate train right. So we, we crate train, and I don't give them free range of the house ever mm. really. So it's, it's it's really just um, I have like an X pen in the basement where they can stay in, and people be you know maybe a cordon off room or whatnot. But they go from you know being fed, they go you know being fed or watered right. They have food and water all the time, but being fed, go outside, pee and poop come back in at that point um they'll get free range in the house to go play hang out and then when we're done and they're not being watched or they're not in front of you then they go back into their big crate or x-pen area right it's a, and so they're never just given the free range of the house where they can um soil the area and so if the kids want to play with them or we want to let them you know hang out with us on the couch they go from the pen right outside let them pee and poop before they come back inside and that's that's a pretty good way to just kind of make sure that they don't ever, you know, tearing up your garbage. And I, we, we had our early times, we, we, we tried, we're just letting them free range at a house. And, you know, you're always fighting, fighting a, a mess and whatnot. And if they get pissed off of you, they might go jump on your bed and pee all over it or something like that. So. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're notorious for being, not being able to be house trained, but they, they can very well be house trained. Yeah. Some people do great with it, but I, I think great training is like he said, is, is a huge key. But I think another factor is having one dog. One having one dog in the house makes it a lot easier. You know, if you have two dogs in the house, it makes it a little more challenging. Especially if you have a dog and a bitch in the house. You know, yeah, and we don't fix our dogs because we're breeding, and and you have that pack mentality. Having a male and a bitch in the house makes it a big, extremely, yeah, almost impossible challenge. But yeah. what, just having the dog in the house would be. It they, was, they it, was it was possible. Yeah. We could we he was like my first dog was very not hundred percent, but he was very good in the house and very you know trained to go outside and then very very you know few mistakes. But with you know multiple bit, dogs that aren't fixed and you run a pack, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, or, or and then I have a I have a, a kennel in the backyard, so you know if it's weather's nice, they, they they'll be outside in the kennel for you know long stretches of the time and then we let them in let them run around do their business then they can come in the house hang out for a little bit and then we just put them right in the kennel right and so they get they get it they get it and that's their their, their comfort zone that's where they like to be yeah running a pack there's benefits of running having two dogs or, or a, a pack you know basically two dogs is a pack to them and you have two dogs there's benefits to that they keep yourself company and stuff like that versus one dog when we had one dog it was like forget about it it was like screaming his head off when he was by himself like i mean like you wouldn't you, yeah, you, the noises yeah. that would come out of him you know when he was by himself was like out of a horror movie you know but other than that you know like but there's also benefits to that too so there's pluses and minus to everything so having yeah. two is is it beneficial but it it's it comes with challenges also yeah well i mean like right now i've got you know two two vizlas and i've got you know two dachshunds and both of my dachshunds are male 
and you know one's now two and one's now one and are they fixed no no yeah forget about it. you got can't yeah. keep them in the house loose I'm sure. Well, I mean, we, so as far as the whole, you know, <laughs> as far as the urine aspect of things, you know, using the, the belly bands and stuff has worked out really well oh, for gotcha, us. Yeah. So we don't really have to worry about urine at all anymore. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Well, I tried that. It didn't work for me. It didn't. I always get out the top of that belly band. <laughs> See, <laughs> it would sneak out the top of that belly band See, or they'd that's so rub funny. it off I, or something. Well, um, oh, we use maxi pads in ours too. Yeah, and we, yeah. we line we line ours with maxi pads and, and we're lucky, I guess. I mean, I we get like the small size and so far it's worked out really okay. well. We've not ever had any leakage or anything. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and, and, you know, softly yeah. knock on wood. See, here. I mean, I, I just, but, at this point, I don't, I don't really feel the need to just leave, let, leave them in the house, especially when I'm gone. Right. So if you're around them, you're watching them, you can generally keep them from soiling in the house. But when we're not there, they go in the crate. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and we keep you ours in the crate. Too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we also all don't our have dogs. It's a big difference. Yeah. He uh, keeps bitches. I, he has two bitches, and I have yeah, two males. It's a big difference. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely crate train all of our dogs, and, and any time we're gone, they're in the crate. Yeah, so that's we, good. Yeah, we don't, we don't free range ours either. The only thing I've noticed is is sometimes it's just impossible. Like I was, like I was telling Casey earlier, you know, basically, like our one, for example, like he'll be outside. Well, I'll stay out there with him for like 10, 15 minutes sometimes before I, you know, he'll stop being stubborn. And like for five to 10 to 10 minutes of that 15 minutes, he'll, he'll just sit there in the yard. And he'll just look up at you and just stare, <laughs> you know, and just wait for and you. And then he'll go finally back, go. And just wait and go back inside. And he'll want to go back inside first. Yep. But finally he realizes, well, we're not going back in, and then he'll finally go. Oh, it's interesting. And then you know, and it's it's yeah, just but he's weird. still young, right? You're still, I mean, think they, they evolve and they they get into a routine. Yeah, and they, they, yeah. They... Well, hopefully he'll eventually realize that he's not gonna like always out stubborn me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but something tells me that that it's not always gonna be the case. But yeah. but once again, I'm just curious uh, what other people's experiences have been, and yeah. so far the general consensus has been pretty consistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not always so much much as far as the um like uh, when when the best time is to take them home or you know to to separate them you know as puppies or whatever and send them to their to their new owners although i have heard fairly consistent stuff with that too i mean with small breeds in general i've heard more preferences of waiting a little bit longer you know than than like your larger breeds that traditionally take them home like closer well, to i mean i could imagine mark, with but... eight or nine large breed puppies you'd probably want them out of the house pretty quick but yeah, yeah. i mean even having you know, breeding as mainly as I have, like with four, three or four, you know, they're, mm -hmm. no, they're annoying enough as it is. I little, bet. little puppies. I could imagine eight or nine of these big breeds. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even yeah. imagine, to be honest. So, yeah. I get why they want it's to get of rid work. of them, but yeah. I don't think it makes a better dog, in my opinion, in my yeah. little experience. Yeah. And I think it, and, and a couple of other people I've talked to have also made good points, too, that it also largely depends on what the breeder's doing as well. You know, mm -hmm. with the puppies and if they're right. if they're doing stuff that's similar to how you would do it. Well, home and stuff you're like raising too. raising hounds or even terriers is very different than raising a, a litter of, of bird, you know, uh, pointers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's different. Um, but we, you know, we expose them to rabbit right off. You know, pretty young as soon as they're eating solids and they're smelling live, you know, not live rabbit, but you know, uh, carcasses and pelts, and we do drags with them and just you know they have a natural affinity for rabbit right so mm -hmm. and you'll see them they're like little piranhas on those on that, <laughs> on those pieces of rabbit yeah, um, i did it i did a yeah i did a drag today with my goshawk and they were 
Getting very, very close. They couldn't wait today till the goshawk was done. Dangerously yeah. close. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another good lesson for them to learn right there. Anyway, yeah. they yeah. know it. They just couldn't help themselves. <laughs> it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So goshawks and dachshunds. That's it's just. It was an interesting combination. I don't think anybody was really doing that combo uh, at the time because uh, every we we thought you're reading you you, you were going to fly goshawks. We had just gotten a goshawk, and. Um, you always hear you need a you need a, a pointing dog or a, you know so you could set up the optifist flush and whatnot and um that wasn't true you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know we, we, we're gonna walk around the field well, and the, only, stuff and, up. the only information we got was old english books with pointers and yeah. and goshawks so upland game and goshawks and so you know a lot of that information was passed on to falconers at least from our perspective from what we were told yeah yeah and because nobody was flying goshawks around at the time at least where we were i remember the first time i even saw a goshawk in person like it was like you know it was it was, it was way more now it than was, there was yeah it was it was like i saw a yeti i mean it was like unbelievable <laughs> i think because at the time it was it was it was harris hawks were still very the, like the rage still it was like the tail end of the big peak of you know lots of people getting harris's hawks yeah well and i think that for the most part, you know, after talking to so many different falconers, it's amazing how many things that people find that aren't able to be done, but then they're able to be done. And Correct. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. I can't, I can't agree with you more. Yes. Yeah. And I'd like, it sounds like I'm double talking. Like, I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel every time. You don't need yeah. to force yourself to do it. And, you know, when I, when we were young, we would want to, Oh, well, if we can do this, do this, do this, you know, and, uh, you know, we can catch geese with our kestrel and, you know, all this silly <laughs> stuff. But, you know, I don't think you need to do that stuff as I get older. But, like, at the same time, yeah, a lot more things can be done than you, you know, you were traditionally, than oh, we yeah. were told. Yeah. yeah I mean, still, I mean, even at the time, even squirrel hawking was still not very looked upon. <laughs> yeah. Look, even I mean, we it, still had a lot of that lingering. A, a lot know, of the bias towards squirrel hawking mm -hmm. was still there. Yeah. Um, and um then gary brewer kind of changed that mm -hmm. a little bit and yeah. you know and but even to, when us when we were catching squirrels in the, early on it was like still kind of you know a little bit you know kind of poo-pooed a little bit you know yeah. like that was beneath uh, like yeah. a, it's, it's, which it's, makes no sense to me i don't get it because it's a much more difficult well, it's, it's yeah. not traditional but it's not traditional yeah, yeah. but yeah. yeah well and and once again you you find out over time the more you're I don't know, exposed to lots of different types of falconry and, and falconers. Well, you find out over time, the things that are kind of considered to be in some circles, like more, you know, taboo or more not or whatever. And eventually it all comes down to the same theme, which is just do whatever makes you happy and whatever you want to do. Oh, and don't worry about whatever everybody else is doing. I agree. But, as long as you're doing but, right by the bird. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but yeah. well, I mean, before we before we switch topics, I mean, is there anything else that you guys want to add about dachshunds at all that you think is is noteworthy that people should, you know, hear about, take into consideration, or um, nothing. I mean, you know, a dachshund is not the all. There's not nothing that's all around dog that's going to be great in every situation, mm -hmm. you know. And so, like for example, we did a couple of NAFA meets, and like we wouldn't run a dachshund out there. Like it does just. 
We did no, ring them. We did. And we, we didn't did, need to. We didn't need to, though. It's almost It was almost counterproductive. There's so many rabbits that they're just, it was like a circus. You know, they were just running around and like losing their minds. And there's just <laughs> rabbits everywhere. And the, the bird would actually sometimes get distracted because they didn't know which one to focus on. So, I mean, you know, so for what we do in certain situations, it's a great dog, just like any dog is. And, and it, it's not the end all be all, but for certain, you know, applications, it's, a, it's, I think it's a, and I, I don't think I would say it's for doc, it, it's people that are new to dachshunds or new to even running any hound dog is you have to let them. The biggest thing was you have to let them run and you have to let them use their nose. Yes. And you cannot be over controlling. Yeah. If you're, um, yeah. you know, coming off of training a bird dog or whatnot, you have to realize it's a very different type of hunting. Um, you know, I think Teddy said like, you know, sit, stay, come, uh, you know, feel control that way. But at, at that point, let them use their nose, let them discover things. You could do drags and whatnot. Yes. If you want just a live beating stick, you know, someone to say, go here, go there, go there. Right. Don't waste your time with a dachshund, you know, because, or any hound dog for, because the benefit of the hound dog is the hound is the nose is, to, you know, to trust the dog and. We see, we've given people dogs or seen people in the field or whatever. We've been out with people and it's just like a control thing and they don't get the benefit of the dog. Why, why have the dog then? You know, right. if you're just going to tell it to come here, go there, go there, you're not getting the benefit of that dog's and the, nose. The, the, the falconer will, will beat a path and expect the dog and the hawk to follow as opposed to, you know, early on, Teddy told us like, no, you follow the dog. You, 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 he's got a nose. You don't. And you work that way. I mean, you direct the hunt into a direction you want. If he starts going off in the wrong direction for, you know, a dangerous direction or whatnot. Mm. But generally, as a perspective, is to follow Trust the dog's the dog. lead. Trust and the then dog. we try to sit back and just orchestrate the hunt, right? Let them let them work. Um, make sure the dogs follow. I mean, the bird follows and yeah. and, and trust the dog's nose. And yeah. let that give them time to work. If Especially early on. If you're not letting the dog work, you're just going to keep beating and you're not patient. You don't let the dog develop and you know, maybe yeah. a couple of years and you don't, you're not finding value in your, in your docs and it's because you're beating, you're beating ahead of it or you're yeah. beating around it. So, yeah. And, well, and that's and, all. And, our yeah. dogs made us look good for many years. <laughs> well, many, yeah. many years. Yeah. And you, and you guys have both made some really good points that, that definitely applied to this past season for me, you know, with both these dogs, you know, first full season. And that I found out very quickly that I was just trying to do way too much. And I found out yeah. that the less that I did, the more productive their progression was. Because, you know, I mean, they innately, like you guys have kind of mentioned and what other people have mentioned, I mean, they, they already kind of have that innate aptitude for what you want to do. The only thing that I found that was helpful, especially with, with my one older dachshund who wasn't started like you know, the younger one was, was doing a, a couple of extra things here and there to help build his confidence. But much past that, letting them just have increased field time throughout the season and just letting them yeah. progress and build that on their own, I think was the best thing that I ended up doing for both of those dogs. Yep. Yeah. And they're still young from what you told yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I always had a thing and I don't know if I'm right, but I my thing is the third year is what you got. Like by the third season, if you got them out there, even if you got them out there a lot, by that third season, what you got is what. Of course, they can get better, but like, there's. Let me put it a different way. They're still progressing a lot 
within the first, second, and third season. Yeah. So you still got time to see what you got. You know that bird, that dog's going to get better and better. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm and you know it, it's amazing seeing how much they grow by leaps and bounds just through one season or even half of a season. Right. And you know it's, we have had dogs. I mean, some of them are they've been quiet first two seasons. Maybe they don't even they don't even really open up on scent, and then by the second or third season, they're they're opening up on scent. You know, they got they're a little bit more vocal. They're they're tracking. So it's, um, yeah, let's give them time to develop. You know, yeah. Um, well, cool. No, and like I said, thanks for sharing all that stuff. I mean, it, like especially for for guys that have done a lot of breeding and and had them for as and been running them for as long as you all have. I mean, it's it's helpful to get you know your insights on those things sure. and. And uh, but now I guess is a good time to go ahead and uh, kind of switch gears to you know the the traditionally favorite parts of these conversations and you all have had time to think about it so I don't want to hear any excuses as far as uh, <laughs> being able to come up with one of your your favorite experiences or stories in the field whether that's with a particular experience like said hunting experience or or dog or bird whatever sure, the, sure. you know the case may be. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we could start with just, you know, goshawks, right? I mean, we've been flying goshawks now for the majority of our falconry career. 15 years. Yeah, now. about 15 years or so. And, um, yeah, I think um, we were, you know, it was, it was a natural gravitation. That, that Does it have to be with the dogs or not with the dogs? Doesn't oh, <laughs> whatever you want. I mean, whatever okay. your favorite hunting experience is, doesn't, it doesn't dogs necessarily have to be a part of it? Or uh, I'll share, the, I'll share the, the first time we got the do- first time we got a goshawk. And, again, we, we hadn't seen dogs. Goshawks hunted. Um, a friend of ours, Jim Yosin, I think uh, had flown one a few years prior. I read an article or two about it. That's the only thing I knew about it. Put uh, people in North Jersey flying a goshawk at the time. But we yeah, had- I know it's hard for people to understand. But you know, the information was very limited. You know, in the yeah. early. 2000s and stuff. So yeah, anybody we knew that then, flew a goshawk, yeah, we try to pick their brain. You know, call, how'd you, you catch it? You're this. getting cold. You're cold calling people on a list. And you say, "Oh, talk to this person." And I say, "All right." We dial them up, like interrupting dinner, like you know, house phone. You know, hey, there were so and so. We're falconers. We're new to you. You know, we heard that you know you used to fly goshawk here or, back in '85. You, you had a goshawk. Maybe yeah, you could tell yeah. us something about it. Um, but and again, trapping one, right? A passage goshawk. I'd never even seen a goshawk, right? So um, uh, we decided to start looking for a place to uh, on a ridge that we can trap one, and um, and uh, we looked on the map. Looked this part looked like a good spot on a nice ridge. An old timer helped us find a ridge. Frank Weber said, you know. You know, uh, he said, we'll scout it out together and just checked it out, walked it, found it an opening that was kind of facing the northwest side of this ridge. And um, and then I saw, you know, I came back, uh, it was a northwest wind coming. I think Phil was out of town in West Virginia. It was some alumni weekend. And um, November, I, November 12th, 2006 or seven. Yeah. So I was like, let me go check it out. I want to see what it does on a northwest wind. You know, let's just, we just. Because we we had been trapping on a ridge site um, in New Jersey, and um, and it was great for catching r- almost everything but goshawks. I mean, Bill it, Miller had found that spot and and and, and yeah. showed us to us, and it was great for red tails and stuff like that. But it was a secondary ridge, and you know, not. I mean, there was a lot of things caught up there, but it was lots a, of things. But goshawks wasn't were a main, not one. It of wasn't them. a main ridge. I mean, we caught at that point probably hundreds of birds had never seen the goshawk, and. Um, so anyway, so we said we're going to try one off, you know, 
the more northerly ridge, a more well-defined main ridge that where the Appalachian Trail runs through from Pennsylvania across the north part of New York, uh, New Jersey into New York. And um, so we went up, and it was the northwest wind fill was out you of town. Went yeah. I went up by myself. It was I think I took just called out sick from work or whatever, and uh, I had one missed net. I want I want to go light, just light, light, light gear. Um, I said I'll just bring one mist net, a couple poles, and a, and a little pop up line, and I think one or two pigeons. And um, so I went up there. I found a spot. I found an old snag off to the distance. I ran a line from that to my to my pop up line, and I put a mist net, um, basically coming you know across the direction, one mist net across the direction that I thought they'd be coming, um, and. I just sat in there, and it was it was it, things were things were happening. I saw birds Snowing. moving by. It was a lot of eagles. It was an eagle day. Bald eagles, some golden eagles. As, flew like, by. That's a very typical for this area in November. Mid, yeah. mid November, a lot of eagles. So it was a good eagle day. Uh, I think a sharpie flew by. A red tail came in. It was stars of snow. You said right? Yeah, it was a, a red tail came in. We had some nice snow flurries coming in. Um, I flushed it off the pigeon. Um, and then um, I think I caught the one just to chest out the setup. It did get caught in the net, and uh, I caught one red tail, let it go. And then um, I would say, you know, about an hour in or so, um, this bird comes right down and it pops up out, off to my uh, off to my right. And now the mist net's straight out in front of me. The mist net pole is like right in front of my net, and it goes straight out towards the the snag where I tied the line to. And I'm flapping the pigeon. This bird comes between the mist net and me and turns broadside, right? And I could see it was just this big asymptote. I'm like, that's a goshawk. Holy shit. I mean, it went right around and it grabs the pigeon. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, that's a guy. I grabbed the pigeon. As soon as it grabbed the pigeon, a red tail comes in behind it and uh, bumps it off the pigeon. And it starts going downrange and down, down the ridge. And I'm like, oh, man, I just saw a goshawk. I thought that was awesome. But then I yelled at the I yelled at the, you know, uh, at the red tail that's on the pigeon. I flushed it off, and I, and the goshawk looks over its shoulder, turns back around, and goes lands in the snag that's off in front of me, and uh, it's got its back to me. And I'm like, oh my god, there's a goshawk right here. And it's like, you know, again, I've never seen one, and uh, until now, and uh, now it's on a snag right in front of me. I mean, keep in mind, we've been searching for years and years at this point for nests. I mean. Yeah, we were doing anything to get we, a goshawk. We knew we wanted to fly goshawks since we before we started, and so this yeah. is, you know, theoretically, I mean, this is two thousand six or seven. I forget so exactly. About three or four, about three years of looking. You know, but since ninety six, we we learned about falconry. So I mean, or maybe even earlier than that. Yeah. So I mean, it's been a long time of dreaming of of this moment, and we've, other than a couple we saw at a meet, we've never seen a goshawk. Yeah. So anyway, it's got his back to me. And it's a passage bird. I knew that, and um, but it's it's not. I'm like it's not going to come in. So I'm I'm sitting there hiding behind the the pop up line, and I'm trying to work this pigeon, work this pigeon. Now, if the bird just came in right at me, it would it would just come right into the pigeon. It would miss the mist net, right? Because it's I only had one mist net. It wasn't set up in a V or a U. It was just one net, and it would come in straight in and just grab the pigeon. I figured I had dreams of trying to sneak out and trying to scare it into the net or whatnot. But anyway, nothing's happening. It was just looking back. Was it turned to me all of a sudden? Um, and I'm like shaking in there i'm like i'm looking through the, the net i'm hoping it doesn't see me and uh but it was quite a distance off and uh all of a sudden after i don't know how long it felt like an eternity it did turn around and it just dipped 
just dropped off that off that snag and it starts coming in and it's just gliding right in pumping pumping gliding right in towards the pigeon if it comes straight in it's gonna miss the mist net so it's, it's whatever but anyway at least it was coming in and like it's coming in at the last minute it tried to um it decided to sw- sideswipe the bird right instead of coming straight in on it it banked off to its left and then hooked right right into the net and I was like, "What?" I jumped out of that pop-up line. I'm, I'm tripping. I'm down the hill. Like it's a, it's a rocky, you know, ridge top. And uh, I, I bend over my mist net poles. I'm fumbling. The thing is, you know, cacking and sliding in the mist net pocket, like down the edge. I'm, I have visions of it getting out. And I basically tackled the thing. And uh, it was chittering and whatnot. I, I socked it up. I put the hood on it. I taped it up. And I couldn't take it, and I just I, I packed up ten minutes later, and I went down the hill, and uh, and um, yeah, we had our first gospel. It was a passage gospel. male gospel, passage yeah. male gospel, and it went to Phil, and uh, <laughs> it went to me. We it both, went to Phil, but it, 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 well, it, we both flew it together. Yeah, we both yeah. flew it together. First, the first thing we ever caught was with that passage of mail. I caught a yeah, rabbit. Yeah, we caught a couple of rabbits first. You know, Gosog, we see it fly first. We caught some rabbits with it before we eventually lost it. But yeah. um, we did Late keep February, it for a we, few months we... and we definitely caught some rabbits with it. And, uh, you know, but we didn't we didn't know what we were doing. And Spent a lot of time with Mark Fanning on the on the call up in Maine because yeah. he had flown, you yeah. know, a lot of experience with Gosog, even passage Gosog. And so, you know, but, it you know, it was our start. And, uh you know, I mean, it's it wasn't great, but we, you know, to catch something with a passage to your soul that not knowing what the heck you were doing, you know. Um, we had some great flights with that bird. Yeah. Our passage have. birds that we take now are doing much better than we did with that bird. But they, you know, we had some great flights with that bird and some great times. Yeah. We had it for about three and months. And we learned how to do telemetry chases. Yeah, we learned telemetry very well. <laughs> yeah, that's an integral part of flying those passage yeah. goshawks. Yeah, I bet. And so we've flown a number of passage goshawks since then, and that's uh, that's the primary bird we you know we like to fly. Yeah, that's but our, um, we have some imprints now, and we flew them with go- dachshunds, and they all flew with dachshunds, and they yeah, yeah, you know, and they all do well. I've always heard from from many people that are able to fly them in places where you know the climate is is ap- is amicable, I should mm-hmm. say to you know flying passage goshawks and stuff that they tame down real well and they're you know they end up being sweetheart of birds to fly you know later on and stuff yeah but, when you know what you're doing yeah. i mean you know <laughs> there we some, didn't we didn't but we <laughs> we do now a little bit yeah but, but there I'll, I'll be honest with you, there, there are some that are um just not suited for falconry I think there's not uh, every go- not every passage goshawk. If you get one, that you're going to assume is going to be. I mean, I think the, the the number that I initially thought percentage wise, I can't put a finger on it, but the the initial number that I thought that were not suited for falconry is a lot less than I had originally, you know, 15 years ago. Would would think, you yeah. know, I think the percentage is a lot less. But and they're, and they are susceptible there is perce- to asper. I mean, yeah. we've had well, and that and that's why yeah. that's why I mentioned the climate being more amicable because a lot of the guys that you see that are able to successfully fly passage goshawks, or at least this is what I've heard in passing, are guys that live in colder climates and stuff yeah. that that are able to, you know. I don't know. I mean, I would but, say it was like every. You know, I think, for, for a while, it was like every third goshawk. Yeah, but I think it, that had a lot to do more with us than it did the bird. I, I mean, I think. I think that was our training methods because the ones I've know. trained since three then. weeks. Three weeks in, all of a sudden you're going. They're they're coming to the Korea. They're coming to the fist on the Koreans. They stop coming to the fist on the Koreans as uh, like they stop progressing, 
and then in a day and a half they're dead. That's that was yeah. because we we introduced fear too too early on with the birds and whatever. And I don't go into that, but that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole other topic. But I mean, yeah. I think the way I've trained the last the more recent birds, they've been way more successful than the way I used to train them when I first didn't know anything. And I mean, none of this, a lot of this stuff, like I always say, a lot of this stuff has been figured out years and years ago, and it's not nothing new. I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm not mm. discovering anything on my own. It's just, you know, coming to the realization that after training so many of them that, you know, what we're doing caused, some of the stuff that we were doing was causing this stress on the birds. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, is there any other... Uh interesting moments or experiences no, that, that you want to that you want to go into at all or um yeah <laughs> or, we want to talk about goshawks i mean I... goshawks are birds in general i mean i mean yeah how about the time when we uh we were we were uh <laughs> we so all of our all of our duck hawking slips generally are drainages behind uh behind uh buildings uh yeah behind schools office buildings um any kind of uh Industrial sludge, yeah, right. <laughs> Jersey. So waste. these are in t- this is in town, right? And mm-hmm. um, I had, uh, I think, uh, I think Casey was in there. My cousin Matt and um, uh, uh, this falconer uh, Frank Weber, who was um, essentially a retired falconer at this point, but uh, joined us many many days in the field. And um, we had this nice set of ducks set up, uh, mallards pinned down, and. Phil had his bird, his goss, and the other guys were up on the the cross road where there's just like a little bridge, pedestrian bridge, or actually a bridge. They could see the slip, and it was probably in the, I don't know, in the low twenties at the time. And I said, "All right, Phil, you, you you're gonna go. You know, you're you're hiding on the bank. I'm gonna go around you, and I'm, and there's a big, large retaining wall, probably I don't know, eight, ten feet high. Um, that so I can get up to the edge of that retaining wall, and then the the ducks are gonna be like eight or ten feet below me." in the creek and i'm going to su- surprise him it's you know so everyone's watching from the end phil's hiding on the bank now uh, you got to remember these ducks in suburbia are we have the problem with them not getting up it's mm-hmm. not like wild ducks where you know it's the opposite they they don't get up because they, they're just not scared yeah in the winter the local so, ducks will congregate in, in and they in don't want to get up. they don't want to flush especially if they know there's a dog, hawk yeah you'll get groups of migrants that move in you can you can kind of see, see them but once they set up residents, like resident flocks in a certain area, sometimes they're hard to get up. So we really want to make sure these birds get up because if they don't get up, then they're just going to dive back out in the water. So, uh, and they're sketchy. Every time they would see us, they they would blow out, but they would fly low in the water, right? Yeah. So that that group, especially, you know, it would fly low and then bail back in the water. So I wanted to really surprise them. So I I start approaching and I start running towards that retaining wall, right? And I'm yelling. Ha 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 ha! And I, I my foot hits a it's a root, and I end, and I end up stumbling, and I have to like basically hurl over the top of this retaining wall, and I jump right into the stream, like eight ten foot down below, and I land in the middle of the flock of ducks. They're looking at me, and I'm yelling and screaming, and then they all take off. It was hilarious, and I I, I was frozen, but and it's it was like, a little scary because there's a lot of and big rocks the, down there all too. It was is, and there's a group of the guys that were watching us. They didn't hear like what was going on, and they just see a guy running and screaming. <laughs> Jumping over a wall into the water. I run towards the sled. I run ducks. with my goshawk, and I don't hear anything. All of a sudden, I'm like, I don't see any ducks, and all I hear is, and I'm like, what the heck? I look over, I see Paul on his hands and knees. In the, in the, uh, the ducks, I mean, they're literally by my head. When I, I surprised them so much, 
I was in the water with them before they flushed. That's hilarious. Oh my god. Yeah, it seems like pretty much everybody that's that's done any degree of like urban hawking for ducks or whatever always has at least a handful of just utter calamity stories that is you know this, oh, yeah. this, it just goes wrong you know yeah, like Casey like Casey when he's trying to trade off the duck for us Phil Phil took a swim after uh, uh, this duck had, I mean his his goss had a really nice flight grabbed the duck and at this point you know we we don't help each other unless. You know, we just watch and and just laugh and, and mock fingers. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, Phil's bird took this, and that, but it was a, the duck. It was a steep bank, and it had pulled it pulled the bird back in the water, and it was going underneath an overpass or a ro- uh, not even a pedestrian. Bridge. I reach out for the duck, and it just gets too far away, and I re and I go, my face goes under, and yeah, I get so a now nice, he's literally swimming, nice mouth of, of Jersey scum water, and then yeah, I so. pull the bird in, and I throw it on shore, and it's cold out, of course, and you know, and and I'm like, Casey, don't don't trade that bird because I knew my bird would jump off the carcass. Real it was yeah, she's like yeah, it was. I'm uh, like, don't lose that, and he's like, and the duck. He's trade the bird jumps off. He trades it off, and the other live duck just goes jumping back into the creek, <laughs> swimming away. Yeah, like Casey, you don't know it wasn't dead. Yet. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. I've I've got a, I got a few I could tell. Yeah, you we're trying there. to. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, but I've, I've 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 seen very similar circumstances. Let's yeah, just put it that yeah, way. That's yeah. hilarious. But it, you know, but um, the, another great one was we were at the Nafami in Amarillo, and Paul had a, a passage Merlin, and we had seen some great flights with it. And we, this is only three or four years into our falconry, so, we, you know, we hadn't seen much of this stuff. And we were we were always, I don't know why, but I well, I think falconers should be like this. We didn't want to lose any birds. Like it was a if you lose a bird, you you find it. You know, you do everything you can to find that bird. So we we were flying this passage Merlin, and it's just the most beautiful flights we've ever seen down in Amarillo. And again, this it was, was in only a like feed year lot, near a feedlot, year four or something like that. Yeah, and this thing. Ends up catching something, and I don't know if it carried it. Or no, this what. was the second time in that same area, and it it rang up with a bunch of grackles or or starlings. Okay, so cowbirds, starlings, yeah. whatever, rang up. It flew out of sight. We chase it down all day. It finds it, catches a little something in the at the end of the evening. Goes out to roost. You know, we're sitting there in the fl- the headlights of the car, trying to call it down. It's swooping the lure. Blah 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 blah. Goes up and roosts for the night. We come back in the morning. Comes in the headlights, blah blah blah, and then starts hunting again. And catches something else. Catches something else. <laughs> so, so that's, yeah, it's self hunting. Some n- nice random falconer at the Nafami in Amarillo is ends up, you know, helping us find, giving them the coordinate, uh, the the um, co- what is it, the frequency for the transmitter, mm. and ends up ends up helping us getting at the signal. end of the day finding this, getting getting a signal for this bird. So we go and find it at Paul. I think this is like the second day or the third. Yeah, it's like the second day. I think it's like the third. Yeah, that might be the it was two nights out or I'm not sure. I think sure. it was out one night. One and night and the next so day. So two, two days and one night so far. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so he tracks it down to a feedlot. And if anybody's been to Kansas, was it Dodge, was it Dodge City or was it Amarillo? I was a, it was a Garden City, Kansas. Sorry, it was Garden City, Kansas. It was 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So, and these feedlots out in Kansas are, I mean, just huge and not pretty. And, and you can smell them from the meat mm-hmm. hotel. I mean, oh, yeah. so we track it down, or this guy, this nice falconer, I don't remember who he was, ends up finding this frequency, tracks this Merlin down to this feedlot. 
And but every time we'd see it, it would bump off and start chasing starlings. Yeah, we chase something else instead. Of every time we get close to it, it's off chasing another flock of starlings. So he, and, so we find it in this feedlot, and then you could—I mean, you could tell. Oh me my gosh! Yeah, well, it finally landed <laughs> on one of those on, on on the on the bars in the feedlot, and I bring out a and lot. I mean, there's hundreds of starlings in these feedlots. I mean, hundreds, and but there's also hundreds of, cattle. of <laughs> cattle and real thick slop. Yeah, I mean it's 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 liquid manure that's I would say probably halfway up towards your knee, you know. And um, but anyway, so it's it's on the fence and it it goes right down the alley of the one of the you know in, in the feedlot and it just goes and the starlings go up like crazy, and um, I and, and then the, the signal's still down there. I'm like, oh okay, so maybe some I'm like maybe it caught something. Maybe I'll try to make it on there. So I I go down the alley and it's down there. It's right on the near the bottom underneath the fence and. Um, it had a starling, but as I started approaching it, what happened was it got caught up in the manure. So I've been chasing this bird for two, two days, days and a night. And we we tried, I tried live sp sparrows, live starlings on a string to get this bird to come down. It would not come down to me. It would just self-hunt, caught game in front of me and keep eating up in the trees. And now I found, I stayed with it. We found the signal, like as, as Phil just said, and had, now it had the starling, but it was caught up in the manure. It was and it's flopping, so I'm running down Liquid there. Slop all and it's, over its, it's, it's pulled itself inside where there was, I don't know how many cows in there, and uh, again, like almost knee deep in liquid manure. I dive between the bars, and I didn't want the cows to trample it. It's literally coated liquid manure. I mean, in its eyes, its mouth, the starling is loose. I grab the the starling, I throw it in my. I dive in, I slide in there. I, I I just wanted to get this bird. It was like a baseball slide, and I got covered. I mean, covered. I mean, I I can still smell it, and it's head to toe, my chest, my legs, liquid. It's the worst. I, I was gagging. I was heaving the smell, and the bird. I, was, I don't know what's going to happen to the bird. It was in its mouth, its eyes, everything. It was completely coated. I I, I took off my clothes. I got he down took out his clothes. We put it into this poor rental car in the back, and, and we drive to the hotel. This my smell, head was out the window, and I'm holding the bird. <laughs> I'm driving him in. back to the rental, and it was so bad. The you could, smell you could not smell. The smell was so bad. I'm still paying for that rental car. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I took it in the shower with me, and uh, the poor went in the shower. We threw it bird. in the, We threw the clothes in the garbage, and uh, we, we got that bird back, man. We got that bird back, and. Uh, and kept uh, had a good hawking season. The rest of it, and but just sneak him up to the back stairs of the hotel and his oh, boxers. we washed our clothes like three, four times. It still stunk the rest of the meat. Uh, it was terrible. But uh, things we do, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you didn't want to lose that bird. bird. I got that bird back, and uh, yeah, sounds can... like it was totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, uh, good God, man, man. it's crazy. Yeah, and there's certain things that happen in Falkirk. Those are days you never forget. You know. Um, oh yeah. Finding your finding the first goshawk nest we ever found that was something we never forgot. Yeah. Pulling our first goshawk nest that goshawk chick that turned out to be a red shouldered hawk. That yeah, was, that was always a, that was a good that one was a great too. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're new guys looking. You know, we we heard there was a someone spotted a goshawk. Nest. I know that's happened more than people want to admit. I don't care. I'll admit yeah, it. yeah. We we we. I guess you know we're a couple years into Falcon. We're like, that's it. We're gonna find a goshawk nest. We search a couple years. Then somebody said uh, they saw they saw a goshawk. They swear it looked like a goshawk. And we um, went to go check out the spot. We found the nest. There was mutes around it. We saw the a hawk flying through the woods. It looked like a goshawk, whatever. We ran up that tree, pulled that bird. I'm like, hey, we got a goshawk, right? So tell Teddy. Really? I bring it over. Teddy's there. Carl's there at his house. He's like, 
And that's we had, first we had, we like had raised a, a number of imprints at that point. We had raised a couple uh, Cooper's Hawks. Cooper's Hawks, Sharpies also. Yeah. And, and now we're uh, like, okay. We're like, we we're raising a Hawk, but like, it was a little past the time that we thought this bird should have been, <laughs> you know, feathered little, and fledged and, and stuff like A little like bit more that. aggressive <laughs> and had that, you know, that stupid little uh, face that you noticed now. But <laughs> at the time, we didn't yeah, re- recognize like, the little fluffy looking up rounded with this head. A, here. It's like, it's taking a long time. But we time. brought it to Teddy's house and Carl's like, that's not a gossip. <laughs> as soon as he saw it. <laughs> like, hmm. Like, <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah, maybe it's not. You know, it still still wasn't you know quite feathered. You know, at the time, but um, yeah. So sure enough, uh, our first goshawk was a red shouldered dog, <laughs> and then the next year we did actually find uh, a, a goshawk. Or was that yeah. the year that we found the nest and it failed? And then they no, came it was the next year. Yeah, I think Casey was with Phil. We we scouted this this spot, and again, another falconer was no longer with us. Yeah, I mean, Casey was uh, with me. I was I would we had been searching for nests for years and years and years, and we finally we had um you know anyway I took Casey for whatever reason and um we wanted to check that spot because yeah, I mean, we had seen mutes or something like that yeah. something to tip us off in that spot and. Um, I'll never forget, you know, because I had been searching. Casey's a never long, looked for a nest with us. Time. It was the first time. Yeah, first time Casey's gone out with us. I don't know how old he was. How old were you in 2007? I don't know. Six or seven, was it? Yeah, 15, 16, something, whatever. Anyway, we walked into the, I walked uh, into this section and I seen a bird come through the woods. Now, I, I don't have the experience, but I've been at that point through. God knows how many hours of woods looking for a bird. And I mean, my heart just about stopped and it came through the woods. And then we just kept going. It flew over me from like, you know, east to west. And I flew over my head and just kept going. And I just like, my heart just about stopped. And then we kept walking and walking. And then all of a sudden, sure enough, and then I'm like, I just, like, I didn't know. I didn't know whether to go blind or what, but like, I just kept going, kept going, kept going. And then we sure enough found the nest. I, I seen it here, cat, 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 cat. And I just turned around and ran straight out of that woods, jumping as high as I could in the air. And just like, it had been a, you know, I mean, we had been looking for four years, but we've been dreaming about that moment for Goshawks for God knows how many, how many years. And, uh, so that was yeah. that was a very big. So moment. I didn't go. I didn't go Phil that day me, looking, so. and I'd been you know, you know, every weekends from basically end of March after done hawking, we'd start looking every, almost every weekend from March through April and to June yeah. and and uh, Maine and for June. years and years. And here I am, like Casey, his first time going <laughs> searching for. He goes into the woods and he's got. <laughs> he sees a female cacking at him. <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool. So. Um, we climbed and I climbed the nest the first time and I saw like just three eggs. I came, we came like the week later. So we came back a week later and had to climb it again. And yeah, it was, that uh, was that. Was that, yeah. Well, great stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's lots of good stuff. And I appreciate you all sharing everything. Like I said, I, I figured you guys would have some pretty unique experiences being, you know, the, the tandem that you guys have been for, for so long, but not to drive you, one of the best yeah. compliments we ever got was uh, a friend of ours. We would call us the modern day Craighead brothers, and that was like, <laughs> I used to love when he'd say that. That's like a very big compliment. Yeah, that was. I mean, yeah. So that was that was. I mean, I wouldn't say we we're that by any no. means, but that's the stretch. But it is a that's a stretch. To share but it was. With my uh, it was kind of interesting to yeah. you know have brothers that would share the same passion. Yeah. No, I mean it sounds like it, yeah. and I think you guys were were very fortunate 
to not only like get along as well as you apparently have throughout the years, but also share a common interest and, and be yeah. able to, to be able to kind of feed off each other in that regard and learn, <laughs> learn from each other. And I mean, one inherently is always better than the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. of course. Yeah. And, that's yeah. obvious. And everybody yeah. can determine that's who obvious. that is. Yeah. Everybody knows yeah. Who that is. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just leave that no, one alone. In, in, in all honesty, it's the fact that that the, we actually do complement each other. The things that he's good at uh, are things that I'm not good at and vice versa. So that really makes her, us. We wouldn't have been successful otherwise. We couldn't. I mean, yeah. the, we, we've got full-time jobs. We've got families. Um, he's got four kids. i got five kids. I mean, we can't just physically that he lives next door. You know, just going away on vacation, things like that is just not We're just feasible. training, you know. If, you know. Training, if I can't get home, feed my bird, train my bird, blah, 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 blah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah it's, it's So I, we know that not everybody has that 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 luxury, you know. and Not very many well, at all. <laughs> yeah, and we, yeah. We set ourselves up to, to, to do that, but it is also a nice convenience. And, and KC always was close by, too, also for that. And there's always someone that we can rely on, too. And Paul's other apprentice, Harold, is the same way. Very reliable and yeah. now lives close and is helpful. Awesome. Well, like I said, I mean, it's I'm I'm stoked for you all that you've had those resources and have had a as illustrious and and uh, you know successful of a career as you all have had so yeah, far. We're still but, uh, we're still learning and trying and you know we're trying to get better. So that's. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, go ahead and, and let's go ahead and wrap this up here shortly. But I want to go ahead and, and get you all's best piece of advice that you can leave for people. And then we can we can call this good. Is this uh, like general falconry advice or is this uh... <laughs> life advice? Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody's going to want to take any life advice, advice from you all. <laughs> uh, you know. Well, listen, I, I, I always say, you know, stay humble uh, in, in, in what you think, you know, because these birds will always teach you more and. Um, and, and that's it, you know, whatever you want to do, just do it with a passion and, uh, that's it. I mean, it's pretty hey, Yeah. Along those, uh, lines that my brother's saying, same thing, same, same idea. It's just, I think that people's, uh, it just is a general thing for learning in general. I think people's egos get in the way of, of learning. And I think that, um, you know, uh, you know, they're either afraid to make mistakes, afraid to ask questions, think that I should have been in this long enough and blah, blah, blah. And I think, um, you know, not to go long winded here, just people's ego or, you know, stop them from progressing in whatever. Phil's always asking questions. Everybody meets. I, I know. Yeah. He's a little bit more curious than me on certain yeah, things. Yeah. I don't care if you flew one goshawk. I want to know what you did yeah, with it. You know, exactly. I don't care. Let me, maybe you can teach me something. I don't care that I've been doing this forever. And, you know, and that's not to say that I'm going to listen to you, but I want to at least hear what you have to say, you know, and, and, and I just think that that's so, you know, there's, there's, you know, not afraid to admit my mistakes and, you know, you get letting your ego get in and asking people questions and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that's what stops a lot of people. Well, yeah. The fear of admitting you did something wrong. You know, I would, I, they, yeah, there's a saying I like to screw that, up, just do it. There's just, just come up and we'll, we'll make it right. You know, just to my apprentices. I, I tell yeah. I, I have a, I like on the saying I like to talk when you, I would meet people, it'd be like, you know, it'd be this first or second or third year of a person you meet is in Falkery. And I'm like, oh, there they are, the, the master apprentice. You know what I mean? They, <laughs> they flew one red tail, they yeah. got it all figured out. They're at the meets, they're at the picnic telling everybody how to fly a bird and how you did oh, it. Oh, yeah. And what you did wrong and what you didn't do wrong about it. The master apprentice, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't matter whatever year you are, you know, you're never the master. And any, and, you know, you've, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and a lot of those, you know, the old timers and those masters that you've listened to, you know, None of them have that attitude, you know. None mm -hmm. of them have that 
you know, I know everything attitude. And that just tells you what you need to know right there. Well, yeah. And if you, if you haven't been humbled yet, it's, it's coming at some point. You know? Yeah. I mean, it is There's always it is something to learn. Is. There's always more to learn as you never figure it out. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Those that push themselves, the ones that are out there doing the most will also suffer the, 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 the most failures. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that anybody that's worth their salt in doing this or really any endeavor that's worthwhile, I think would be sad to ever find the day that they stop learning something new. There you yeah. go. You know, exactly. because I mean, otherwise, I mean, what, what the hell's the point in continuing to do it yeah. then? And, and again, so, and it, these failures are not quite failures, but they're accidents. Accidents happen to the ones that are active the most, the ones that are hunt, hawking the most, the ones that are running their dogs the most, are the ones that are going to have the most unfortunate things that happen to them too. So don't let that hold you back, but just, you know, it's going to happen. You know? Yeah. Well, good stuff, guys. And, yeah, I appreciate and, talking yeah, to you. It was a great yeah. you know, conversation. And, uh, yeah. I enjoyed hearing about you know I, I we didn't get to talk about it here on the podcast but earlier you you shared some of your experiences with uh, your Harris's hawks and your dogs and um, I enjoyed that you know as well so yeah, yeah. we'll talk more about he that doesn't, later. he doesn't appreciate hearing about Harris hawks don't let him kid you well any any true exhibitor guy <laughs> wouldn't be caught dead with a Harris hawk listen I flown them yeah <laughs> oh, yeah yeah after it caught the second teddy bear off the porch of a neighbor's house yeah. and, <laughs> and a couple a couple of steak trimmings behind the restaurant yeah don't forget those chicken bones <laughs> out a couple of the chicken dumpster. wings yeah, yeah. Uh, true. dead Fairly, starlings true story I was gonna story. say you're, you're leaving off you're leaving out like the reddish corn cobs that are left in like oh, the corn yeah. And My bro- I had this one. I had this one Harris hawk. Yeah. It would fly across any field, a highway, whatever, to find a dumpster. <laughs> and we'd be hawking. We got three rogs out. I got five guys in the field. We're chasing rabbits. It gets up in a tree and it goes beelines across like six lanes of highway, across like a hundred yard field. And like, where's it going? I'm look. It's going right to a freaking green dumpster behind there because it had learned it had caught some. Tri- steak trimmings behind a restaurant one time, chicken bones, dead starlings, everything behind a dumpster. True story. I could not hawk that thing. And where I live, there's dumpsters everywhere. So I ended up transferring that bird out to somebody. Some I don't know what happened to it. I don't want to know what happened yeah. to it. But all right. Well, on that note, I'm cutting your ass Sorry. off. So it's all. Yeah. <laughs> but no, man, this has been a fun conversation. And and then, like I said, it's it's always great getting new perspectives. And I, I appreciate you all sharing yours as a. Uh, as brothers in this sport and um yeah man we can go ahead and call this good and i'm i'm sure the rest of the week's going to be a lot of fun it's you know too bad that some people have other obligations that they feel like they need to attend to and things and not going to be able to join in and stuff but uh <laughs> but uh but no man it's it's been great and, and thank you all so much for being willing to share and, and for doing this oh yeah and, and and thank you again so much for the hospitality it's, it's, uh, without guys like yourself this stuff wouldn't wouldn't be possible so thank you thanks john yeah At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.